Hi, and welcome back to Transvox. Uh, well, sorry to miss you last week, but uh, we were so excited by the coronation that um, um, copious amounts of uh, champagne and swearing allegiance at the television was had by neither of us. So um, <laughs> we didn't get around to... Uh, recording an episode i have to say i was actually sunning it in spain last week so sorry about that so lovely to see you again jen how are the devil hi are jill you? hi everyone yes um sadly i wasn't sunning myself but i was i was keeping an eye on the coronation it's history after all i guess i didn't swear allegiance to much but i did uh i did keep off an eye on it but yes i think you were having far more fun than me did you make a crown that's what's got to be said <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't i didn't think of doing that but maybe i should maybe i should um yeah i could see myself as a queen in one way or another no that's a whole different story yeah as a, as a lifelong socialist trade union i'm not quite sure it works I'm, i think i've become slightly less republican as i grow older i think really i think i'm going the yeah. other way it's interesting isn't it i think i don't know i'm just slightly less republican i'm sort of ambivalent towards it now i guess yeah but, i think it's often said isn't it as we get older that we 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 progress to the right but in my stage i've gone to the left it's been quite peculiar. that's really interesting my you know yeah. interesting my brother's like that my brother was an architect typical um and he would vote Tory and everything else and he's you know he'd be a borderline marxist now i think he's wow. borderline. no not quite but it's really interesting because that's the typical thing you get older but no, I don't think my politics are changed. I've probably softened a bit from when I was at university, I guess. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little less, uh, less of a firebrand, I guess. It is interesting, though, isn't it? Because you look at um, people at universities and people um, talk about the effect recently of the um, Oxford Debating Society and the fact that I think they're having, talking about having Catherine Stock to talk <laughs> and there's been massive um, rows <laughs> and such like. And, um, and the idea of no platforming... Um, a trans an anti-trans advocate it's quite interesting because of course we've had people who have been out in a node platform because they've been extremely right-wing and it sort of raises this whole free speech thing doesn't it about when is free speech okay you know it's, oh, it's quite a fascinating thing and for me universities are the place where you learn to debate you learn to develop a, a view and opinions and you're expected to be radical when you're at university and i love the fact that university is still the hotbed bed of some form of radicalism because you know, a lot of change. You think of 1956, the Hungarian revolutions, you know, the French riots of the 60s, the big changes in, in our societies have all come from university people. And you look at our university people, really accepting of our community, really accepting of um, this oh, the way corruption so, and wokeness and all that sort of stuff. It's, it gives me faith to think that university people are still up in arms about things. It's very refreshing, isn't it? No, I think you're, you're absolutely right. It's really interesting. You're right. I think some of the, you know, some of the, the more adoption of the language and, um, you know, we uh, through universities about terms like cisgender and uh, non-binary. I think of a lot of that has come through universities and younger people and that generation. And we still hear stories of people going back in the closet after they leave university, you know, that, um, you know, it's a long time. It's a long few years since I was at uni, um, you know, um, in Liverpool in the late 80s. So that was that was pretty damn radical back then. So it is great. Um, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't I'm not sure this. I'm, I'm not sure where I am quite on the free speech. I'm fine for people to free speech is there, but you're also free to be held to account and you also no right to a platform. So, you know, if you know, there's no right, I, you know, and particularly if it's somebody that would be, for instance, Kathleen Stock, Stock, a lot of what she would say would I would class as, you know, hate speech towards trans people, mm. you know, and where do we and then there is a line there because we do not 
yes, you might get somebody that's that's radical, but you know, for our community, some of these some of these people who will talk about free speech, you know, I hate preachers. You know, the um, there's a notorious one, Posey Parker, who recently went to America and and uh, funded by uh, CPAC and um, and Australia and was pretty much hounded out of New Zealand, is a hate speaker. You know, mm. um, you know, do we give that person a platform to, to you know, to perpetuate that? Uh, I think there's difficult arguments on that. And that platform, I remember that dating back initially really started with Jermaine Greer. I think yeah. Jermaine Greer was disinvited because she'd made some pretty horrible comments about trans women. Some pretty horrible comments. And the university students union said, we don't want her to come and speak yes. to us. And yeah. they've got the right to do that. They, they do. And... You see, I take an alternative view, I have to be honest, and, and I'm big on free speech. And I actually think the way we're going at the moment in our country, sort of most to the right, is all about losing free speech. And I think the, the trouble is that the way we do free speech has become very polarised and polarising, and it's impossible to change your mind. Now, when I was a kid, I was a member of the debating society. One of the things we used to have to do is we used to have to learn to debate both sides of the argument. Yeah. And I think what doesn't happen anymore is because of the nature of people who are set, seen to be triggered by a subject or whatever it might be, you lose that ability to see another person's side of the argument. Now, it is interesting because that gives you a different perspective. I know you and I disagree on some of these things. Mm. I, I get that some people say a trans woman is not a real one because they've got male appendage. I, I understand that. I don't agree, but I understand that. But I don't think that saying it is hate speech necessarily. I just think sometimes it's, it's if no. it's part of a, a constrained, respectful debate. I mean, if it's on Twitter, it doesn't count because that's just showing. But it should be possible for both sides of the argument to have a constrained intelligent conversation to say that we actually agree on quite a lot and the common enemy is not us and the fact we're marginalized and and victimized because of a bigger agenda and i think women and trans people are caught in this this agenda and rather than standing back and going actually hang on a second we've both got a hell of a lot to lose here why don't we just figure out why we're being manipulated so, I, I I don't just you know I don't disagree that um, some comments are, would, I would class as hate speech or not, but there are some of these people. It is hate speech so when people are saying we should not exist. Oh, that's different. Which some people are saying, and there are people who are saying that there are people who are saying that that um, you know there was a um, famous conversation that you can see on YouTube between two academics, a part of the same group as Kathleen Stark, that they're basically saying that trans people are a problem in a sane world. Yes. Right. There are problems. Those people, I don't, that's where there isn't that's an argument. Different. If Agreed. we give ground and say there is an argument or debate about our validity, that's a different, yes. different ar argument. And I, and I, it was interesting for those of you who listened to the last um, podcast where we, we did slightly disagree on some of this. And I did reflect on that afterwards, thinking, have I got some privilege of somebody that's been transitioned some time now where I haven't had to, haven't had to make a decision in the full glare of this, this war against trans people that maybe I could, should maybe understand that me having a, you know, maybe a, a you know, quite a strong opinion that I don't think these things are, are up for conversation or, or, or debate, that maybe that's for me of a privileged position of somebody who's settled into a transition life as a woman right and so i did reflect on that i think it was very interesting because there's part of me that you know wants to sw switch off from that that conversation um but i still think it, we've got to be careful we don't give ground to saying there's a debate on our validity yes and that's but, where it becomes a problem and, and for me this is the problem because the debate 
about validity is at, it's, it's at sound level 10, if you see what I mean. Mm. But the debate about toilets is also at sound level 10. And this is the yeah. problem, because actually, if people are criticizing toilet use, then that's that becomes mixed. And what happens yeah. is the two deba- the two debates get mixed together. And actually, one is about validity, and the other is about practicality. And it should be possible for us to have a an informed conversation about which toilets we have. Sorry to go about the toilets thing again. But it should be off the table to talk about validity. And it's and the same as, you know, it's the same as race, well, no, yeah. colour, and the same sort of thing. The fact is, you know, you've got the same thing in the moment with the Jewish-Palestinian thing. You know, you've got people saying that Jewish or Palestinian people are should, should be wiped off the face of the earth. That's wrong, and it's the same for us. But if we if we conflate the practicality with the um, philosophy, I think we're lost. Um. Yeah, but also if you once you start to give that ground, you're losing. You're we were in the the danger that we lose that ground. The the practicality of use of toilets or the bathroom building maker is such nonsense anyway, because you're not going to have a situation where trans men. You know, it just is nonsense. It's never been a problem. Trans people have existed for all this time. It's never been an issue. It won't be an issue. It's not an issue in any country that has self ID. It is a an argument that is a straw man argument. It's an argument put up on simplistic terms that doesn't bear any any um, any lens of uh, of study when you look at it to actually think it is a problem or an issue. Once you give that up, once you give that point up, that is giving up our validity, and then that is making lives more difficult. That is marginalising you. So yeah, there are areas. You know, I'm happy to say that there ought to be a. Um, you know, there can be a discussion on whether you need to have, you know, some discussions in sport about whether testosterone levels or people. I can understand those arguments. And that's my point, you see. Because... But that's not living. But that's not the same as talking about um, bathroom use. Correct. Or whether, which is what the argument is ultimately about. And ultimately, for a lot of the people that you want, that uh, I'm told that I need to listen to or engage with, actually don't want us to exist. No. That's the end. You can see down the line, you can see the steps, and it comes from that the, there are people who don't think we should exist. And I'm not going to debate. I'm not going to talk to, to yeah. those people. So I, I can see it's difficult, but I'm coming but if from you see, I, But if you see that as a bell curve, okay, so we've got the very positive people at one, one, one end, and we've got the, you know, the other people, the, the small tail at the other end. It's the vast majority of the people that we need to be conf- working with. Because, and, and for me, when they're asking questions, when they're disagreeing, often to understand, to accuse them of hate speech, I think, is a challenge. Whereas actually, we should be, we should be possibly a little bit more, a lot harder with people who are using genuine hate speech and a lot softer with people who are just really trying to understand. Yeah, people. I mean, it's like attitudes, isn't it? If, you know, I remember someone telling me that they hated Welsh people. They had this attitude to Welsh people. Then, Are you picking on me? I'm half Welsh. Well, but that was the thing. <laughs> because <laughs> they went to Wales, had a great holiday, and came back and saying the Welsh are really nice. I'm saying, it's like, you know, once you've met a transgender person, you tend to have no, that's, no problem that, with that, that's, that's so true that the studies show that everybody, those people that know somebody that's trans have... have. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, you know, I, I did reflect on that conversation last time. I do wonder whether I do sort of soften position, but it's a... You know, it's it's difficult for us when we criticise for that. It is so personal to us as trans people when people attack. I'm not saying it is so personal, and it hits every insecurity. It also hits every insecurity you had growing up, thinking you'd never be able to transition. It hits every one of those. So that's why it's so personal. It's like, 
you know, all those things that are back of my mind, those demons at the back of my mind that thought I'd never be able to live as a woman when I'm being, you know, those the language that politicians are using, the language that these people are using, hits at those insecurities. And, you know, um, you know, I'd say you trans people are leaving the country, trans people's yeah. mental health are suffering because of this. So I, I get I get we need to find a way through it one way or another, but I'm not I'm just not sure where that way is. Yeah, and, and I anyway. really genuinely believe that there is a way through it as well. But we need to, we need to have a little. Jill, bit more. you're always the optimist, and that's. Good. I am, and I, I'm also also always prepared to have a conversation with someone who's on the other side of the argument. So that doesn't mean the hate speech crowd, but I mean the, the people in the middle, the people who just want to know, who are curious. Yeah. They're, they're the ones which are fine. I mean, there are people who just, you know, I get called names and such like. You know, you're never going to change their minds, but. But, you know, I actually was thinking quite a lot, rather than linking it back to race, I was thinking about those strides that disabled people. I know I don't want to conflate us with disabled people, but someone said to me, disabled people don't make a fuss. You know, and I was thinking this is unbelievable, isn't it? Because actually there, there's more, we have some parallels with disabled people. Some people think disabled people shouldn't exist, all that sort of through, through to how do we accommodate them because we want those people in our world. And, and I think it's quite interesting to see that the way disability is being handled and moved forward in a more constructive way is probably some of the pattern that we could be using rather than just shouting and throwing mud at each other. I think, I think there's something, and it, and it reflects interestingly for me in terms of conversations we've had about perception of trans people in the media over the years. And um, I know you've got some views and you were also opening my eyes about the difference between the way people in the media have been held today and what it used to be like in the past. No, I think it's. I, I think that's really interesting. It's, it's a. It's a good. It's. It's a. It's a good subject to move on, onto because how we're portrayed in the media reflects how people see us in society. I guess. I. I think it's really interesting, and so I grew up in the seventies and eighties, and even through and so through the seventies, eighties, and nineties, I can't think of a positive portrayal of a trans person um, in in drama or film. You know, um, when I was growing up, the only people that you saw were trans were, were well, you didn't. You saw Dick Emery dressing up or, yeah. or drag or something. Yeah. But they were always, uh, always figures of fun, uh, figures of ridicule. And then you, you then you started to see in, in movies. I mean, there's a terrible, you can have a terrible list of, of, of mo transphobia movies, you know, um, you know, where trans people, there was this trope of, um, you know, they're, they're the hero character or the character would meet a meet a woman who turned who turned out to be trans and then they didn't realize and they would literally be showing throwing up it was yeah. a trope you can see you can see clip after clip of this some great youtube videos on this about how how that was a perception you know how you know that's a person of disgust so we're completely ridiculed how terrible it must be to fancy somebody who's trans right so that was a trope in the movies you and the, or we were a serial killer Either, you know, you in films like Science, you know, Science of the Lambs, so there is some nuance there, but Dressed to Kill, famous Brian De Palma's film, even going back to Psycho. Not that those people were trans, but, you know, people would make that that link. You'd see it in, like, in TV procedural dramas where they would yeah. find out the murderer was actually trans and things. And that's yeah. how we were shown in the media. There was nothing growing up. I don't know about you, Jill, that I saw that was a, 
in sort of drama or, or comedy or TV that was a positive portrayal of a trans person. I couldn't think yeah. of a single one growing up. No. And there's lots of um, drama. Yes, you're right about this fact that no one could find the killer and it, we discovered that the killer was dressing as a woman. And, yeah. and it's, it's it's the hiding away. And it's the point, it's interesting though, when you think about this, because I can't remember when being homosexual was decriminalized, but it was in the 60s 69. sometime. So it's so there you are. So it's no surprise that um, actually there's um there was the perception. No, sixty seven, no sixty seven, I think. Sixty seven, yeah, sixties. And I mean, if you think about it, so going into the seventies and eighties, it's not surprising that people were still experimenting with, you know, the camp side of it and the drag side of it. You know, that was that was a good place to start, wasn't it? Because people were cautiously coming coming out. I remember Peter Tatchell when I was a kid. You know, yeah, the, still... the, the hero of the trans world now. But actually, he was back a, then, he was arrested for protesting. At he was a... a scourge, wasn't he? Because he was he was outing people as being gay because, and he thought he was helping, and he probably was. But you know, it's that thing about how heroes and villains can quickly change. You know, over the course. Yeah, of I mean, time. He, he does some. I think he. I think he was at the protests against. The yeah. coronation, there, but yeah, I, I, there was. I think there was a lot of uh, arguments whether I was right, right or wrong. But I, I, I just know growing up that when I talk about this, when I realised in my head there was a girl, but I didn't know what being trans was. I didn't had any, any idea what he was. But the only thing I would see on the media were things that make it seem ridiculous. Yeah, so made us figures of fun or dangerous, you know. Yeah. And um, and that, Kenny that, Everett, do you remember Kenny Everett? Yeah, Kenny Everett was sort of, I guess, um, more drag and uh, and that beautifully titled character, Cupid Stunt. Do you remember? That's it. Um, I've said and, that uh, to, to youngsters quite recently, and they're all saying, "Who's Kenny Everett?" And I was a bit of spoonerism. <laughs> that's horrible, that's I horrible Kenny, when that happens, isn't it? <laughs> well, really, Kenny Everett um, had this character, Cupid Stunt, who was um, yeah, a drag because he got beard and everything, and then all done in the best, you know. And then um, the, the BBC said that name's a bit. Cupid stunts, it's a bit of a spoonerism. So he changed the name to, to Mary Hinge, which I just thought was just brilliantly subversive of Kenny. But you would get that. And I, I didn't, I, I must have been growing up, I didn't find that as uh, a, a sort of difficult or as offensive because it was so overblown and characterish, I think. But the, the way we were just um, figures of fun in sort of sitcoms or something to be laughed at or ridiculed did impact. Did impact on me for such for a long time, particularly when I was more aware growing up through teens and early twenties of saying, "Well, you know, the world. This is how the world sees us in 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 the media," and um, and I think that persisted for quite a while. I mean, you can even look interestingly up to. I think you could look up to um, Little Britain. So when was Little Britain on the oh, telly? Yes, about yes. about twenty ten or a bit earlier than that. A bit earlier than that, yeah. Yeah, but I but they had to take some characters cut bad transvestites or something horrible characters right which were used to mock trans people it's very interesting only a couple of few years after that matt lucas said i wouldn't do those characters again that was yeah. not right i've learned right so that things changed because I, I i i'd make the argument now that in certainly in, in films or mainstream hollywood films and mainstream television you don't see really poor characters characterizations of trans people yeah. you're, you're likely also to see a trans actor now aren't you yeah, uh, which wasn't the case we've got representation you know yeah you know uh elliot page you yeah. know uh, the, the, you know lots of positive representation i think that's really interesting how that community in in stark contrast to to the news media which is yes. horrible at the moment for trans people but 
uh, I can't think of the last. I remember it's interesting. For, so forgive me, I'm rabbiting on a bit, but. Do you know in Coronation Street where they had um, yes. Haley was a trans character? Yeah. And it was a really positive prediction yeah. because it wasn't focused on. But the actor who played Haley, Julie, I can't remember her second name, Julie, yeah. great, great actor, has now said she wouldn't take that role now because yes. that role should go to a trans actor. Yes. And that's really interesting now that they've got to the point where not only are, are our characters being better portrayed, it's not perfect, but better much better no no i'm being fair much much better but also there's a move to say actually we should have some representation we should have and then people yeah. have that experience i think that's really interesting and the, and the thing is it's it's that passing the baton that could never have happened without her and because actually you know putting a trans character in a mainstream soap was quite brave at the time and you know and there have been other. It's funny, isn't it? You come come to it. I can't think. Of, I can't think of anybody's names all the time. So I'm really struggling yeah. to think of the names. But there have been some strong soap trans characters and things like Big Brother and you know reality Nadia. shows. Nadia, exactly. Nadia, who won the series. Yeah, it's that normalising was... and showing that trans people are just sort of people. Nadia was really interesting. I think people have sort of forgotten Nadia. Uh, she was Portuguese. I think it was about the fourth, third or fourth series of Big Brother yeah. when Big Brother was big. And she, she was a trans woman who won that and there was no real sensational. I mean, there were some stories in the tabloids and stuff, but perfectly accepted. Yeah. Um, and, and then you see the reaction recently to um, to the trans influencer, Dylan. Yes. Uh, I forgot her second name. Um, advertising some beers and then it all going right. nuts, right? Yeah. And yet, a few years ago, we were UK, we were perfect relaxed about a trans woman, yeah. and she was embraced. I remember watching that as somebody who hadn't transitioned at that point, watching Nadia, thinking this is amazing because this person's been. Uh, I don't know, Jill. When's the first time in you recall seeing somebody in the media or even being aware of trans in the media or may? Um, well, it goes back slightly earlier to me because I think I think a lot of us. Uh, and not everybody, and you know, I'm not trying to speak for anybody, but I, I suppose a lot, a lot of us went through the transvestite phase first. So certainly, yeah, I, I met a lot I'm... of people in the trans world who were transvestites first. And I remember, was it Stephanie? Not Stephanie Beecham, because she was in Dynasty. There was Stephanie, somebody who was who actually transitioned and created the film Transformation. That's right, the infamous. Yeah, she yeah. was a Bond girl. That's... She was actually she was a Bond girl. She was. She, wow. she was actress. I've forgotten her name now. But you'd see those because we have everybody from the eighties and nineties. I'm sorry, we're we're all dears here talking about stuff that, that if you if you're young, we need you a fence, don't we? To but talk there was over every the top every Sunday tabloid. There were these adverts for transformations. That's these it. shops. There was yeah. one in Manchester. In, I can remember it in Berry Old Road. Yeah, that's there was right. one in Houston, yeah. uh, where you would they called you them well. changeaways, where you would go and yeah. you know be able to be. A woman for the day, sort of thing, yeah. a dress up, and they were they were in the back of these adverts. I can picture them now, and they were infamous at the time, really. But they were offering mm. something. I don't really think I don't know, even though they exist now in that same way. No, they, don't. Yeah. they don't, and because you know we've been accepted, but we were marginalised. And then, yes, we use the term transvestite. We weren't transvestites. It was just the language we had back then. Exactly. You know, a transvestite was somebody who wasn't living full time, right? Where yeah. a transsexual was. But I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I remember seeing those Stephanie. I can't remember her name now. No, and but, there was um, another. There was another woman who uh, she was ninety recently in one of the first sex change. They were called sex change in those times as well, weren't they? And someone who's about ninety now, one of the first people to go through the media. This is a classic. I, two people talking. I don't talking, know if you're talking the one. The one names. I remember was um, the program, the documentary, A Change of Sex. Yeah. 
Maybe that's Ju- it. Yeah. Julia Grant, who's recently that's it. passed away. That's it. She's recently passed away, actually. She's just recently passed away. I remember seeing that, which would have been mid-80s. Yeah. I remember seeing that and going, oh, my God, that's me. That's yeah. possible. I, it had an impact on me yeah. that day. I couldn't say anything because my parents were in the room, you know. But I remember, I remember seeing that, and, and that was the first time I was aware, really, of somebody being able to change gender, right? Yeah. We really called it change of sex back in the day. And it was a really interesting documentary. I think it's, I might still even be up on iPlayer now, on BBC iPlayer, because it was until recently still on there. <laughs> really in- interesting. Um, that was really good representation at the time because it was, you know, times are different, but seeing had an impact on me. And I, I do think it may, it's important to see in the media for people to be able to see who they are and relate to. And it also sort of shows the change in language, doesn't it? It shows this move from transvestitism, which was, you know, split basically between those who were interested in the sexual side of things versus those who were interested in the sort of social transition side, perhaps. And in those days, we used to have the the living test or whatever it was called. We used to have live two years near a new gender without any treatment or anything, which was a form of hell, as I remember. Um, but then the move, the language changed to transsexualism, doesn't it? Because it was this, because where people were talking about the change of sex, and now it's transgenderism. Because it's, you know, we've moved on in the language, and media sort of sometimes drives that change, sometimes follows it. But it, it is quite fascinating. And you talked to me about a Netflix um, program. Yeah, I think there's a program called Disclosure. It's a documentary on Netflix um, that um, looks at trans people's depiction in the media. It's really interesting. Uh, and about how that's changed and, you know, how bad that was. And it it would be exactly the same for lesbian and gay people. You don't see those depictions that you saw in sitcoms of the uh, of, of the 80s, you know, and, and going before that. So, it, but it is charting that. And um, I think it's, um, I think it's so notable now that there's some really, despite the prevailing stuff that's going on in the news and in the politics, yeah. that there's areas, particularly areas of the art, and it does make a difference, you know. Um, you know, it's particularly, you know, seeing people like Sam Smith. Yeah. I'm non-binary. That's who I am. They are They are non-binary. You know, for a young person, seeing Sam Smith going, actually, that's somebody, that's really important. So these people are uh, uh, seeing that. I don't think you could underestimate that. I, if I'd have seen somebody that I could relate to in my teens, you know, in my early teens, my life may have been more comfortable i would have yes. been less distressed um, you know, but, no, but, would have... and we have to sort of recognize that you know so if, if it was 67 when homosexuality was decriminalized i mean 2023 it's not actually a long time for seismic social change to have taken place if you think about the neuroscience of the way we change biologically mm. and physically and chemically actually we're still operating you know with a system that's hundreds of thousands of years old and to to cope with this level of change over 40 50 years is quite amazing if you you know i mean i remember the times years ago when uh, the um, the berlin symphony orchestra berlin philharmonic orchestra was saying were forced legally by the german authorities to audition um, people behind screens because it was an all-men orchestra and it was run by a, an ex-member of the Nazi party and it was all going to be men. And suddenly they were auditioning people behind screens and women were being selected because actually they were as good. And this was like, a, well, how can women be as good at music as men? And it was, yeah. you know, and it's that, and, and that's in my lifetime. That's only 30 odd years ago. And suddenly we've got that, you know, the first sort of female con- conductors, you know, Marin Olsson and people like that. And, and it is, it is, 
interesting when we look back to realize how far we've come and how quickly. I think sometimes when people look in the media today, and especially when you're younger, you don't have this sort of sense of having been on a journey that's been really rapid. In the course of my lifetime, how far women's rights have come, um, trans rights have come, black rights have come, you know, disabled rights have come. It's all been in a very short period of time. So the, the people with vested interests, because they have lots to gain, because they're losing power, influence, money, financial clout, whatever it might be, they will rebel. They do become that end of the the bell curve we were talking about earlier. And if we didn't have that end of the bell curve, which is horrific and horrendous holding us back, we wouldn't be able to rebel and push. So you, you do need both sides of the argument because you've got to have the radicals at both ends because that's how you get change. Well, yeah, I, I can I, I accept that. I, I, I can accept to some, uh, some extent. I think um, what we're not seeing now is we're not seeing the progression now. We're seeing the forces no. trying to make us regress. I think that's different than progressing rights. Yeah. So... If, you know, I was challenged on this because I, I I I I raised this and said, you know, that's that sort of unique to trans seeing this pushback, but that's not true. You know, we saw that in the eighties with section yeah, twenty eight towards yeah. school. So you you do period, but which seems so alien to people now. It pulses. So uh, you know, it, it's it's a way. So that's where part of me has that confidence that we will see. I mean, it was interesting. Improve. I was listening to to. I'm very interested in American politics for all sorts of reasons, and what and what people said was the reason Trump. Were, appeared is because of Obama, because the fact Obama had actually been elected because he was black and he represented this seismic shift forwards that the next step was inevitably a regressive step by having someone like Trump. And now what you're doing is fighting it out with a sort of a, mid, a centrist. And it's probably going to happen in our country because we've swung a long way to the right. And I, sad, I, I, sadly, I, 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 sadly, we haven't got anybody to stand up to it because we've got another you know, corporate apparatchik and the Labour Party. But, you know, there you go. But it, it is interesting how we change pulses backwards and forwards. And, and, and you've course, said I, a few times the, that you think you're optimistic, and I am for the future. Well, I, 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 am an, I am a not, because I've always got the cognitive dissonance. In the long term, I'm optimistic, because the, the argument, you know, it is going to, progress will happen. I'm not positive at the moment, you know, day to day, this year, next year. I'm not positive about where we're going to be in a couple of years' time because I'm worried about what I'm seeing and hearing and uh, and and that and that uh, and that scares me some of that does yeah. the good um, news is to put this into perspective all the futurologists are talking about a massive war within the next 10 years so that puts everything into perspective doesn't it well I was thinking, <laughs> I know I'm the pessimist I was thinking the other day we've had we suddenly got the threat of world war again yeah hopefully not but you know we've had a pandemic who could have foreseen that when, and now we're having our minutes, um, our thing recorded by AI yeah. on this, in this meeting right now. AI, AI could scare us and take over the world. I mean, yeah. some of the stuff is good. So who knows? I don't think we could, uh, uh, who, who would have ever thought that we'd have a pandemic and be all confined to our homes? So anything we, is possible at the moment. If we say that Star Trek has actually effectively created the agenda for the last 60 years, which has all been about, freedom of rights, you know, erosion of capitalism, all that sort of stuff. World War Three is coming in about 20 years' time. But it, after um, that, the Vulcans <laughs> in the land and we'll be saved and we'll all live happily ever after in a federation of interplanetary peace and harmony. I think we'll be long gone by then, though, Jill. I think to be honest, I, I've, just, I've decided I'm going to live forever. In I'm going to upload, upload my consciousness to the AI well, in front of us. Well, nobody can prove to you that you won't live forever, can they? So? No, no.
No, no one. And of course, if we are all just living in a, in a, in a simulation in a big computer somewhere, yeah, yeah, if we're all that anyway, who knows? But um, yeah, the Matrix I think now, you've we? got we're to try really and... gone into the Matrix now. <laughs> no, we and, have it, and Matrix Four is all about the conjoining in transient nature and well, transgenderism of, of and of the, course of the, the Matrix. Matrix films. Matrix films directed by two trans women. Exactly. Right. Brilliantly, you know. So four of the best know. films of all time. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'll fight anyone on that hill. <laughs> And on that note, I suppose we better go and I'll see you next time. Yes, see you next time, everybody. Really great chat as always, Jill. Catch you soon. And next time, we're actually, we're going to be organised, aren't we? Next time, we're going to be talking about healthcare and the medical side oh, of we are. transition. Oh, right, yeah. That sounds okay. more serious. It does. Yes. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the legal side and more about the social side as well. But it's yeah, been yeah, a joy yeah. to talk. And um, who knows who knows what will happen to him now next week. But I'll see you. As always, Doug. Have a good week. And you, Chuck. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Transvox. It's been a joy to have you with us. Um, if you want to um, make contact with us, you can contact us at gillian at transvox.co.uk. And if you'd like to support the work we do, please go to Patreon and go to page Transvox. And all of our money goes to our nominated charity. And Jen, you've chosen the charity for the next number of episodes. Which one have you chosen? Our charity is called Beyond Reflections, which is a charity that provides support and counselling to trans people, non-binary people and their friends and their families across the UK. An amazing charity doing some amazing work, really important. So please, if you can give. Great. And if you want to go and have a look at Beyond Reflections, it's beyond-reflections.org.uk. And uh, But as I say, if you'd like to make a contribution to what we're doing, because we love to help the people who help us. Uh, again, if you've got ideas for um, the show, things you'd like to ask us, questions, comments, applause, or um, brickbats, feel free to send it all Absolutely. in to Gillian at transvox.co.uk. Until the next time, goodbye. Bye-bye. Yeah.